Okay, hello. You're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Raj Singh, CEO and co-founder of Pulse, a startup that's building a better way for distributed teams to connect, communicate, and collaborate. Most recently, Raj co-founded Tempo AI, uh, which was acquired by Salesforce. He also co-founded All the Cooks, uh, which was acquired by Cookpad, and was the founding uh, BD person at Skyfire, uh, which was acquired by Opera. So a uh, good track record of uh, acquisitions there. In the last two decades, Raj has been involved with numerous startups as a consultant, advisor, and investor. Uh, he's also been running a blog writing about mostly his tech thoughts. Today, we're talking with Raj about bringing better communication to remote working. But before we get into that, Raj, thank you for taking the time out of uh, all of these jobs that you do and joining us on the show. Yes, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, uh, you're the first person who's actually basically read my bio. <laughs> so, you know, the bio is good, but uh, that's just what we glean from the internet. Uh, tell us about yourself from you. How did you get started in this business? So, yeah. So as you said, focused on remote work tools, I had a partially distributed team before it was popular. So this is my last company, which you had mentioned Tempo AI that was acquired by Salesforce. And uh, we had set up a, let's call it somewhat popular, somewhat unpopular sort of company culture. So we used to ship a second device to everybody we would hire, which could be based in different remote cities or whatnot. And at the office or those that were at the office, we would perch a laptop and we'd ask everyone to kind of join this 24 hour, always running video hangout. And it was very effective for us. Uh, obviously, when we hired new team members, uh, some maybe didn't prefer that kind of setup, but once they got kind of accustomed to it, they actually found it to be uh, really neat because you can you can hear and see everything that was going on and, and you sort of felt connected uh, to your team. After we had been acquired by Salesforce, they didn't really have a remote sort of first culture at the time. And this was back in 2015, 2016. And so they started flying in a lot of our remote colleagues to the office on some regular cadence. And it, it, it was you know, it's, it was work. But what was interesting was a lot of those colleagues, uh, and especially after I'd left Salesforce and I'd reconnect with them, uh, would basically say that they felt disconnected from the mothership unless they did come back uh, and see, uh, v visit the office on some super regular cadence. And so I thought a lot about that problem. Uh, I'd taken some time off as well after I'd left Salesforce, but thought a lot about that problem. And so really was thinking about, well, how can I solve this sense of connectedness, or how can I make distributed teams feel more connected? And arrived at a, at a series of ideas, initially it being a virtual office, uh, but ultimately landed at what you're seeing now, which is Pulse, which is very much about sharing increased presence and status, but in a way that you feel like you're in more control uh, with your distributed team through Slack. And, and uh, we have found that uh, teams using basically automatic status for Slack um, are feeling more connected and are feeling like they're in better control of their day from the perspective of fewer interruptions and more more opportunity where they choose to ad hoc and collaborate. So, Raj, I think you mentioned a term, uh, was it remote worker tools? Was Is that what you said you worked in? Teams, yeah, how long teams. have you been working point, with uh, you know, remote tools? And, and just talk about that generally as, a, as an industry that's growing. So I would say 
when we had our distributed team circa 2000, you know, 11, 2012, and, and certainly many people have had some facet of a remote team, maybe an offshore team, maybe a team at, at co-located offices, whatever it might be. I would say uh, when I think about remote, I, I'm thinking about individuals working from home full time. So this is like 2011, 2012. It was a relatively nascent category from a tools perspective. There was certainly a class of companies that were distributed, uh, fully distributed was a very rare breed. Mostly it was partially distributed. And it was not necessarily with the motivation to build a distributed team for the sake of building a distributed team. It was often driven because it was difficult to just find uh, talent. And so great talent was everywhere. And as a startup, uh, I hate to say it, more affordable talent. And so hiring purely you know, Bay Area, Silicon Valley can be difficult. And so you wanted to be open-minded and look outside of the Bay Area and consider uh, applicants from different parts of the country and whatnot, or, or, or the world. And so many of the tools uh, that were available at the time that were kind of looking at distributed teams, uh, again, as I said, relatively nascent. There was things around always-on video tools. So there's a company called Perch that tried to sort of facilitate that, like a variation of sort of running an always-on Google Hangout, but very different uh, if, if you look at sort of that time period to post-COVID, where we've now seen just a surge of new tools that have been created to help imp- and improve uh, sort of distributed work culture, productivity, collaboration, uh, help better address burnout, all the sort of different pain points that uh, uh, colleagues and those that have been working from home have been reporting. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm sure, you know, having been in the uh, uh, remote work setting for uh, for almost two years now, some of us are, are starting to get more familiar with, with distributed work tools. It sounds like you've been, you know, thinking about these kind of problems for a while, though. And I know you started, founded a Loop, which has recently pivoted to, uh, to Pulse now. Can you talk about what the you know, what was the idea for Loop and, and then why did you decide to pivot? Yeah, so our approach in sort of solving this remote connectedness sort of issue was to build what we call a virtual office, which is a which is certainly now a category and, and you can take a look. And basically, if you look at a virtual office and probably some of the most visible examples are you'll see these large 2D maps and you kind of move your spatial character around the map. And when you're within the spatial bubble of another person, you can start talking. And so it really, it's to sort of taking a physical office and bringing it online into a digital kind of form factor. What we found with the Loop Team virtual office, which by the way, was was used by hundreds of teams, was that as these teams grew to 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 people, whatnot, we were experiencing churn. And uh, obviously, that's a problem. Why are these teams churning? And what we found was our audio video quality was just simply not to snuff. We know that's a hard problem. Uh, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google Meet, you know, they've spent literally billions in sort of building that infrastructure. And so we tried to uh, make improvements there, but that was that proved to be a very challenging sort of thing. But the other thing that we found was a lot of the presence, which we surfaced not in, in a visual of a map, but rather in the form of status. So it would say things like in, in a document right now or messaging or in focus or whatever it might be, was proving to be very delightful. And a number of users had asked us like, hey, can you bring this to Slack? And so what we realized was, well, let's let's focus on that. Let's focus on what they're working, uh, what's working, you know, from, from the perspective of like a, you know old startup idiom. Uh, and so we 
made the decision earlier this year to double down on status and presence. And, and that's how we sort of landed at Pulse uh, and, and kind of got ourselves out of the communication uh, side of the virtual office. And so what we've done is we basically have brought automatic status to Slack uh, and it really changes the experience. Uh, Slack, you know, the green dot hasn't evolved in 20 years uh, since the days of ICQ and Skype and whatnot. And we we make it more contextual, we make it more rich. And it, it results in net positive pretty much all around from reduced interruptions to feeling more connected, to simply having more control. Uh, some people just get anxiety when they're not being seen as online all the time. Uh, and that's something that you can configure Pulse in such a way to help also address. Interesting. So what are automatic statuses? Because, you know, Slack has uh, the option to do regular statuses, right? I, I could set it myself, but uh, what, what's automatic about it? Yeah. So so if you think of status today, it's, it's, it's usually just sort of a green dot, you're online, or you're possibly idle, depending on the messaging client you're using. So when people think of their virtual office, by the way, they're usually thinking of Slack or Teams or something, uh, one of those sort of tools, or, or they're offline. Um, so there's really kind of three states, you know, it's kind of online, offline, maybe idle. And your last option is you can go and set something custom. If you think about the layers of automatic status, the first step is just sort of like my calendar. Uh, let people know when I'm in a meeting. Now, when you were all physically working in an office, we could all see each other. So if you looked over your shoulder, if you peeked down the hallway, whatever it might be, you can kind of see when somebody was in a meeting, somebody's occupied, somebody has their headsets on, somebody's focused, somebody's designing right now, somebody just got up and it's around noon, so I'm probably going to guess they're probably heading to lunch. It's, there's a lot of inference that happens. We internally often describe that as your presence is your status. Uh, you being there in the office is a status and you're kind of uh, you know, just as you walk around, you're statusing all the time. But when you're when you're distributed, all of that is lost. And so what we're really doing is we're taking all of that and we're representing it ultimately in the form of an emoji uh, that automatically uh, sort of updates throughout the day and reflects an automatic status. So it could be something like focused if we think if we think you're in focused right now, and that could change the sender's behavior, maybe somebody wants to send you a message and say, you know what, I don't want to interrupt right now. It could say something like, has a really busy afternoon this evening uh, or, or later today. It could be uh, on vacation the rest of the week, could be holiday in their country, you name it. There's a whole range of different sort of permutations, literally thousands, based on hundreds of data sources that we've plugged into that helps not only uh, give you a better sense of, is, it, is the person available right now? Is he or she, a, is it a good time to connect? but also creates opportunity for collaboration. It could say something like designing in this file right now because they choose the, they choose to configure it in such a way to share that information. And so you're like, oh, now's a good time to talk to that person because we're working on the same thing. To also being a way to sort of communicate empathy, recognizing that, oh, maybe somebody's jet lagged because they traveled yesterday or recognizing that really uh, it's really late for them because I didn't realize their time zone, which, which this user chose to share automatically through their status. Got it. Yeah. So it seems like it uh, has a lot of benefits or it could do a lot of great things for your office, your, your remote work culture. Long term, can you talk about like what the vision is for Pulse? Yeah. So if you think about status and, and sort of the green dot uh, pretty much across a variety of applications, status exists all over the place. You go inside even your workplace tools like Jira, uh, there's a green dot to, to indicate you're online. You're in Google Docs. It shows your little avatar and it makes you 
it highlights you when you're actually in the dock, but when you're not in the dock, it grayscales you. And so there is this sort of lightweight form of status all over the place, but for the most part, it's been very stagnant. And so we really think of status and presence as a layer um, that we can we can own and, and, and sort of create this sort of meta layer of remote work for lack of a better term. And so I think right now we're obviously servicing and bringing that into Slack. Uh, we'll soon bring it into Teams uh, and other sort of workplace chat communication products. But we really want to take it from that to bringing it everywhere. So imagine you're on your phone and before you send that iMessage or call your friend, it says, it says to you that so-and-so is on a phone call right now, uh, or so-and-so is in a meeting, or so-and-so is focused, it may change your behavior. You may decide, oh, you know what, I don't want to ping right now, maybe I'll ping later, uh, whatever it might be. And so creating that sort of status layer across everything is really where we want to go. And to help facilitate that, what we have done is in addition to bringing automatic status into Slack, we have also opened up a developer interface so you can plug in data uh, into Pulse, but you can also subscribe to Pulse status if you want to bring rich contextual status into your own application. So it's really interesting to talk about this, you know, two years into a pandemic that's, you know, kind of largely pushed us towards this digital world that, you know, existed, but it it wasn't, you know, didn't have to support everything that it does when we're all on it. So we're kind of learning new ways to kind of live in this digital world. Yeah, let's take a step back from you know what your solution is and look at kind of like the, the pain points and the customer needs here. Uh, what are some kind of like common issues and complaints that uh, you, you know are kind of uh, the reason for having something like this? So I think if you look at a lot of the surveys that have come out of remote work over the last two years, they've been remarkably consistent. Sort of employees, workforce have been reporting Zoom notification fatigue or Zoom just Zoom fatigue as well as notification fatigue, interruptions, a lack of focus time, a sense of feeling loneliness, uh, you know, they're working from home alone or whatnot, feeling disconnected, particularly from other groups and other teams. And so there has been this real effort over the last couple of years on how we can better recreate that feeling of working side by side. Now, certainly, um, obviously, a big part of a, a great remote first remote work distributed team culture is, is being able to get work done uh, and have tools in place to do asynchronous communication as well. Um, and, and certainly that's happening. But there is subst- substantive work that happens every day in a hyper-collaborative kind of way, where you do kind of need to work side by side. And right now, it's more, there aren't, you know, the best way to sort of address that is what you're finding people do is set up basically always running Zooms or, or, or whatnot. And so this was a way we felt that we could help improve upon each of those sort of top pain points, uh, whether it be interruptions, we, we definitely reduce those, increasing more opportunity for ad hoc or serendipitous communication, feeling less lonely, and so forth. So there's certainly pain points, and I could see why, you know, uh, this could impact, uh, you know, your workforce's productivity and, and maybe their morale. Do you have any idea how it might impact productivity and morale, those types of things? Like, it, it's certainly not great for it, but... Um, can you kind of quantify like what maybe why that's why that's not good for your organization? I think, you know, I think what I can say is it's the types of things that have been coming from remote work surveys have alarmed a number of folks within people operations, HR departments across a range of Fortune 500 companies. You are seeing burnout uh, continuing to rank as one of the highest issues within a lot of these organizations. And 
there is a lot of research and data supporting that the lack of sort of in-person collaboration is having an adverse impact on innovation. And so there is a lot of hypotheses around sort of needing to create more ad hoc serendipitous communication versus scheduled meeting sort of driven culture. And so I think a lot of these workplace resources, human resources, people operations sort of departments are taking this quite seriously and thinking through adjustments they can make through tooling as well as workplace culture. And that's why you do see a number of actions that have been taken over the last year from a range of companies. They've introduced new tools like digital whiteboard tools that have, that have emerged. Uh, some of them have adopted virtual office tools, uh, like these large 2D map sort of experiences. Some of them have adopted uh, specific meeting culture rules, like no Zoom meetings on X and Y day, or come back to the office these days, and we're going to have X hours to just sort of serendipitously ad hoc brainstorm, whatever it might be. So you're seeing, you are seeing uh, a range of these different things. Certainly, a lot of these efforts are experiments in their own right. It's very hard to quantify, but you can definitely see an end result if you're churning employees at a faster rate than you were before, or if your internal surveys are indicating that more and more employees want to leave in the next year, which is true uh, in, in, in many of these sort of organizations. And so uh, efforts uh, to help sort of combat that or to help improve upon that are, are very welcomed. And is there like a pain point you are focusing on the most uh, between, you know, the ones we've mentioned already? I think, uh, I think focus time and collaboration. I mean, those are the two things that I think when, when you, when you think about uh, what you really miss when you're in an office, obviously you miss seeing your colleagues and, and maybe being able to chat and communicate with uh, people that you don't normally work with on a day-to-day basis. So that's sort of serendipitous or just non-work chat, which doesn't happen if everything is schedule driven. And so we, we certainly are looking at like, well, through automatic status, we can better indicate when somebody's in focus and it would say in their status focused. And, and, and so that, that gives them more opportunity to sort of focus and get work done and not be interrupted. And I think on the other side of that coin, creating more opportunity to say, hey, let's chat now, which I otherwise probably would have pinged you at the wrong time because I didn't realize or didn't have the context that maybe you had already looked at this particular document that we need to discuss or currently looking at it right now. And so this creates a good opportunity to collaborate. I, what I think the key thing to keep in mind and think about is these are, these are behaviors that happen when you're in the office. So when you're in the office and you're in your little corner part of the office with the colleagues that you work with most closely, when you had a question about a particular design item or, or development item or whatever it might be, accounting, you, know, you kind of look over and you're like, oh, colleague is focused right now or engage in another conversation, not a good time to interrupt. I'll try to catch them later. Then later in the day, you look over and like, oh, they're in the file right now that I need to talk about. Let me interrupt them now. Now's a good time. And so I think that those sort of social cues, they happen in the office. But when you're distributed, you lose all of that. And so it very much has become very calendar driven, schedule driven sort of culture. And and that, and that that's what's triggering some of these some of the feedback that we're seeing that's coming through reporting and surveys and whatnot in terms of how distributed has impacted their team. You make good points. It it makes a lot of sense. Once we move to distributed work, what happens? Well, everyone's distributed. Uh, You lose, you lose uh, some of the things you get just like from human connection in an office. So we kind of have to recreate some of that. What kind of key assumptions have you made as you, as you built the design and functionality of your service? Like, let me give you an example. Like, Distributed work is is here to stay might be a, a key assumption. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think uh, you, you kind of called one out already, whether it's distributed or hybrid, that's definitely here to stay. There's just, it's, I mean, I think there was some doubt maybe last year in uh, winter, spring, uh, but at this point, it's a very clear that th- this is going to be the future of work for a number of industries, not for all industries, but for a number of industries. And, and, and very clear that in a number of industries, more and more can be done remotely, not necessarily necessitating uh, sort of meeting in person or whatever it might be as it may have in the past. I think we, we certainly make assumptions around just sort of like this innate need for human interaction and ad hoc communication or serendipitous communication. And I think that is something a lot of companies are thinking through right now with, well, let's do hybrid, but let's make more opportunity for people to just sort of connect on an interpersonal level as opposed to a work level. And so how can you create more opportunity for collaboration uh, from that sort of perspective? But a lot of that is also how do you how do you deliver more empathy? So imagine your status is not just like an expression of availability, but it's an expression of interest. Like, you know, so-and-so attended his baseball game yesterday or so-and-so is on his Peloton and crushed it today. And those are all things that we could infer through automatic status. And so it's a way to communicate empathy which creates opportunity to kind of break out of that sort of day-to-day work cycle and have a more interpersonal serendipitous discussion uh, while remote. So, I mean, I think that's, I think that's sort of innate need. I don't, I don't think of distributed teams as sort of robots in a manufacturing plant where there's almost no, no communication, right? And they're just like a supply chain and everyone's kind of moving down this sort of a carrier line or whatnot. So that's certainly uh, an assumption. I mean, I, I, I guess I sort of think about, um, I do think, these workplace messaging tools are a necessity. There's been a lot of discussion around asynchronous culture sort of being the future of work. Matt Mullenweg's kind of like triangle and the five levels and level five being true async and, and not needing any synchronous discussion. I don't subscribe to that thesis. Uh, so I certainly am in the bucket that hyper collaborative synchronous work culture portions of that will continue to exist, won't go away. And, 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 uh, uh, we're certainly seeing that amongst the vast majority of remote work companies uh, or companies that are operating in any sort of remote or hybrid kind of capacity. Still thinking through your question, other other sort of assumptions that we've made. Uh, but uh, I guess I guess the you know you kind of called out the sort of key assumption that you know distributed hybrid work is here to stay. Well, yeah, sorry, I took the good one. Tell us next about the origin story. We already kind of talked about it briefly in the in the intro, but um, yeah, tell us about. Um, Tell us about, well, what do you consider your origin? Is it the, 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 the pivot to Pulse or is it when you started Loop? Take us through your origin story. I consider the origin, my experiences, as I mentioned earlier, when I was at Salesforce, the need of having to fly to an office on some regular cadence to feel connected feels, feels unnecessary. And so how can you better solve that to make team members feel more connected? And, and if you look at Slack, on its own, certainly you're going to see a bunch of notifications pop up uh, for a variety of channels. But otherwise, you really have no idea who's available, who's around, what people are up to, particularly outside of your core team, uh, those that you don't interact with. And it can feel, it actually can feel quite lonely. Uh, you don't really see anything. You just see a bunch of green dots. So, you know, my origin came from my experience in uh, Salesforce and looking at some of those remote work challenges. And and then really then just studying the range of different sort of approaches and solutions that companies and teams have taken to try to solve such, many of which were mostly focused around video and always on video or asynchronous video. But I realized in talking to a lot of companies, and we learned this through Loop Team, a lot of folks think of their core sort of messaging app as their office. When people think about 
is John around, they jump into Slack or they jump into Microsoft Teams or Google Chat and they see if John's online. And that indicates John is around, but they don't really know anything beyond that. Uh, they may not know that John's super jet lagged, started his day at 3 a.m. today and not a great time to partic- like you know drop in and ask a bunch of questions and throw on some complicated stuff or whatever it might be. Or they don't know that John's like deeply coding right now and, and super in focus, not a good time to interrupt. And so that's kind of, you know, it was really sort of starting with that. And then obviously with Loop Team, we tested a lot of those hypotheses and we built a product that uh, hundreds of teams were using, but we struggled on the communication side of it, which was a little bit out of our control because we didn't build uh, the video conferencing stuff ourselves. And frankly, that's that's a, that's a whole nother can of worms, uh, which Zoom and Microsoft Teams and others do really, really well. And so recognition in that process that, hey, we can just focus on status and presence and drop the communications aspect is how we landed at Pulse. And now we're sort of onboarding paid teams. It's got to be kind of a leap of faith too, right? Big on your part to, to sort of say this communications aspect, uh, this part of the business is, is, is difficult. What's the result been like so far uh, pivoting and, and sort of dropping that uh, aspect of the business? There's always a leap of faith. And I think a number of companies fail when you do that exec- uh, change in direction is the term I'd like to use. I wouldn't necessarily call it pivot because I don't think it's like a hard right. We're really just, a, we're, we're, we're doubling down on a portion of what we had built with Loop Team. I think the the challenges in that sort of change in direction are less so with the execution. I mean, there's certainly the execution and usually it's driven off some insights that you've gained from operating uh, whatever you were building before. The challenge is often just managing the team and, and sort of moving the team from a morale perspective and into a new change in direction and what we already built and whatnot. And so it takes time. It's like, uh, I think a good analogy here is it's like steering a ship and the larger your ship, the harder it is to steer or the longer it takes to steer. But but uh, I think we kind of started this journey back in March, and now we're live and we're onboarding uh, paying teams and uh, just sort of getting started. So it feel it, from that perspective, it's really neat. And the, I guess the other the other side of it is it's you know it's it's not as much as a leap of faith. It's it's based on the learnings of, of uh, running a virtual office with hundreds of active teams. So a lot of that data and the insight that we gleaned from there and how people were using it and the feedback that we were getting is all sort of being channeled into Pulse. Tell us about the people uh, behind Pulse. You know, who have you who have you brought in to make sure that you have the best odds you can possibly have? Well, uh, we have a good investor group, a number of sort of well-known, you know, seed uh, institutional funds. And then my co-founders are both former entrepreneurs. They both have had either their own startups that have exited or been part of startups that have exited. And then we have a team of a number of folks that we worked with before and or knew through for common friends or whatnot that we sort of built and uh, uh, we've grown together uh, through the journey. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it, it doesn't take a ton of people to build great software, but it certainly takes the right people to sort of work well together. And so I, I feel lucky from that sort of perspective. How about uh, hiring? How do you attract the best talent? I think hiring everyone's having challenges with hiring. I think one of the things that remote work has done and being more open-minded about remote work, and we, we were always in this mindset anyways, is that it is a global talent pool and there are people you can recruit from anywhere uh, in the world. And so I think that certainly has helped. Uh, at the end of the day, I feel like when somebody decides where they choose to work, it's do they like the people and do they think the problems are interesting? Do they think uh, this is a place they want to spend the next year or two to, to sort of learn and, and grow? And so I think... Uh, from that perspective, you know, we have a, a unique interview process that we kind of go through that, that makes it more entertaining or challenging. And I think that 
process and connection, which is sort of you know meeting the team and 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 uh, the stage and whatnot. Hopefully, creates a. Uh, an opportunity uh, that's interesting to many, but at the same time, recognize that there's also, you know, large companies that that can just throw lots and lots of money at the problem, uh, which is certainly going to attract a different category of uh, folks. We don't necessarily try to compete with that category, but but we we're not necessarily trying to hire those people. You know, pe- people are purely in it to try to sort of maximize income. Got it. Well, now let's take a look under the hood. Can you talk about your technology stack and, and maybe what kind of important choices you had to make early on? Um, you know, we're, we're like most companies, uh, you know, we're built on top of AWS. We use a lot of off-the-shelf AWS stuff. I think early on when we were doing conferencing, there were certainly some key decisions around what conferencing provider to use. Uh, there's a number of them. Uh, there's even more available today and fewer in some ways. Some of them no longer exist but that that sort of no longer applies. I think the Pulse experience, it, we certainly had to choose which platform we wanted to choose, go with first, and we chose Slack. That, that was kind of very, very sort of good developer program and very, very comprehensive. And so it was a great place to sort of start, but uh, certainly want to bring it to Teams and Google and elsewhere uh, soon. But then I think the, the other sort of decision was, you know, the, the Pulse experience uh, runs on your desktop. Should that be built as a native experience or... Uh, a framework called Electron, uh, which is what we uh, lean upon, which allows us to effectively write once and run anywhere. So we can run it both on Windows and Mac very quickly. And so that was a decision we made, which I think was the right decision. Uh, it has some trade-offs, but but uh, there, was, there haven't been a, a huge number of sort of uh, platform stack uh, sort of related questions. I mean, there's obviously always questions around uh, what should we use for support, what should we use for our blog, what should we use for mailing, what should we use for analytics and so forth. But Fortunately, there's 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 a quite a few, particularly early on, tried and true tried true tested uh, sort of uh, tools out there uh, that you can lean on to make that all sort of work. And then, obviously, as you scale and grow, you can then start exploring whether you want to switch out to something more comprehensive or can enable other sort of things that you need. How do you use AI to reproduce the office experience? Are you using AI? Yeah, so we, we, we use AI in a few different places. So one of the things that we do is we have like at desk detection. So your status could say you're at your desk if you want to share that. So if you got up and walked over to a conference room, it would, it would say you're not at your desk. And so that uses a little bit of guesswork using Wi-Fi triangulation to kind of figure that out. We also try to figure out if we think you're in focus. It sounds like an easy problem, but it's not. You might be watching a YouTube video. You have no mouse or keyboard activity, but you're actually in focus and don't want to be interrupted right now because maybe you're watching a webinar or a training video or something like that. Or maybe you're typing away in a document and you're like deep in thought and you really don't want to be interrupted right now. It is interesting if you look at sort of psychology research around focus time and the time it takes to sort of interfocus and exit focus versus how our system sort of perceives focus. We see focus as snippets. You know, So somebody might be in deep focus for the last three minutes and then kind of drop out of focus. And you know, the brain does sort of ADD task switch, like every 10 or 15 seconds, it's been coming down over time. So uh, it is interesting kind of looking at that data and what is the optimal time. When you think about people who manually try to manage their focus, you know, they, they sometimes would go into their calendar and put a block, just say focus time for like an hour. Uh, what they're basically saying is just don't interrupt me during that hour. But it's, it's interesting, because the brain really doesn't work like that. Like you actually are task switching all the time. You might be you might be typing, but then you might be looking at something else. So, uh, trying to understand and figure that out and personalize that to different people and that that in itself is a very very sort of interesting AI problem. 
Definitely. Yeah. My own experience is, is very like hit or miss. Like the, the block of focus time really doesn't work for me. What works is kind of like actually making the time for the thing I want to do, not just kind of putting a general time to focus, but it's different for different people, right? That focus block might work great for some folks. Um, so that's a really exciting challenge. Talk about uh, some of the key milestones that you've achieved to this point. You know, I think I think this last six, seven months has really been about executing this sort of change in direction. So recognizing last year in early spring timeframe that, hey, we're churning teams when they get to 25, 30, 40 people in size. And so a lot of it is a number of sort of smaller milestones, which is sort of getting the team to believe in the change in direction, start building towards the new change in direction, which is what what is now Pulse. Uh, getting it named, launching it, you know, bringing it live, bringing it live with paying customers, sort of end of lifing the the previous product. There's a lot of things that are involved in that sort of process, and I think a lot of people take that process for granted. It's certainly easier to do when you're two, three person team, pre funded, whatnot. But I think once you're post seed round and building, it's a it's a completely different game. Um, and so I think when I think about milestones over the last year, I, I am proud of the what we've done in sort of executing that change in direction and landing where we are. Okay, next, let's talk customer experience. Can you talk about who your primary users are and how might they, like how much effort is involved in setting setting up Pulse? Yeah, so I mean, we, we only brought Pulse live during the week of Thanksgiving. So it's only been out in market for a couple of weeks now. We started onboarding, we're in the process of sunsetting our previous virtual office products. So we started onboarding some teams from Loop Team, which is our vir- virtual office product, and so it's it's been interesting. I mean, uh, certainly uh, there's individuals who identify with the problem. Oftentimes, it's managers because uh, they want they feel like their team needs better visibility, communication, collaboration, whatever it might be, uh, and so that's been really neat. But uh, it's um, the use cases are various in a very Notion kind of way. I think Notion early had published some philosophy that they wanted to make the tool very customizable. We see a similar kind of experience. We'll see a head of sales want to share Salesforce activity into status on Slack. We'll see a, an engineering manager more focused around availability and focus time. We'll see an HR manager more interested in sharing PTO and vacation schedule. So really interesting seeing different ways that people are using it depending on their job function, but also the different types of things that people want to share into status. And then how about your go-to-market? How do you how, how do you get in front of customers? Yeah, so one of the neat things about status is it's very viral. You kind of see somebody's status in Slack and you kind of peek over it and hover and see what it says. And so that creates this interesting loop inside an organization where people can quickly discover like, oh, what is that? Let me try to check, check that out. Um, so that, that, that's sort of really neat. I think the other sort of obvious channels is to make Pulse work, we integrate with a lot of data sources, and each of those data sources, whether it be Jira, Trello, Google Calendar, you know, Office 365, whatever it might be, are channels for us. Uh, each of them have app stores. Um, they are incentivized to kind of promote Pulse because it's actually an opportunity to sort of show their brand inside Slack or Microsoft Teams as a way to then drive more virality to other types of users uh, who may not be using their product. So. For example, if you're Uber Conference, uh, somebody can see you're on an Uber Conference call and another user who doesn't use Uber Conference will like, oh, maybe I should go try that out. So that creates a nice synergy with the different sort of uh, companies that we integrate with to bring in sort of data to push into status. 
And uh, so that's also, you know, so that's a, that's a really neat sort of go-to-market channel, just sort of the, the different kind of data providers of status. And then I think, you know, there's a lot of communities that are built around a lot of these tools like Jira and whatnot that are really focused on workflows. And these communities exist on Notion or Reddit or whatnot. And uh, those are all also great channels for us uh, to sort of drive adoption uh, because we're bringing things that they might be sharing into some other sort of view, but directly into the user status, which can then trigger another workflow. So I think from those sort of sort of non-obvious paths, those are great sort of go-to-market channels. Of course, there's the more obvious, which is sort of direct marketing and you know, reaching out to, to teams or organizations that could benefit from this, uh, as well as paid acquisition and, and those sort of more obvious channels, content marketing, whatnot. But, but I think uh, the, the ones I uh, aforementioned those are certainly uh, neat sort of advantages that we get just because of the nature of our product. Think about that kind of nuance, but that is uh, an interesting advantage. You mentioned kind of, uh, you know, being able to go into partner apps or not partner app stores, but certain app stores. Can you talk about, uh, have you managed to build uh, any partnerships and, and do you have any examples you'd like to mention? Uh, we've done integrations with some big companies already, uh, companies like Atlassian for Jira and Trello, uh, so you can bring their data into Slack status, um, Google Drive. We have a number in our roadmap from Asana to Spotify to Strava, all sorts of interesting information that you may want to share into status. And so I think it's neat because there's both consumer and business applications in terms of things that you might want to share into status. It could even be PTO schedules, like like vacation schedules from ADP. It could be deeper activity from Salesforce or whatever it might be. So I think there's kind of a range and we're obviously working through that list, but uh, that's uh, those are some of the examples of things that we've integrated so far. Uh, all right, let's talk about uh, some other startup-related activities that you're involved with. We'll start with kind of your work with startups. You work a lot with other startups. Do those kind of opportunities come your way? Are they inbound or are you sourcing those? Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty much 100% focused on Pulse. You know, this, this is my sort of bread and butter, I think. If you're perusing at my LinkedIn, you'll see that I've invested in a range of things. Those are mostly into other funds. I don't have time to, I, I don't do any direct investing if that's what you're asking. Uh, um, so those other funds do all the work. I'm just, I'm just an investor in, in some of those funds. I am obviously, you know, I, 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 I blog a little bit, although I haven't been terribly active recently. And I certainly am an advisor to a couple companies, but, but those are far and few between. I, I think it's important to focus uh, so I don't try to stretch myself too thin. But if you're thinking about 20-year curve, yes, I've been doing startups for a long time. I dropped out of master's to start my first company when it was certainly not in vogue and nobody really knew what a startup was. This is back in uh, 2000. But uh, it's it's an area I feel very comfortable in, uh, comfortable, I guess, with the unknown or the unknown future. But but uh, I really enjoy it because it I feel like it it stresses it stresses you in a positive way in the sense that it really sort of pushes you to kind of keep learning, keep you on your toes, think out of the box, uh, and so forth. You mentioned your blog. Can you talk, uh, what do you write about? So previously, I used to blog uh, at other channels. I actually was, I used to blog, I, I used to be the mobile blogger for O'Reilly, which is that famous book publisher company. They made a bunch of these uh, development books, with little animals on the cover. Yeah. Um, and then later, I used to guest blog um, at Mobile Crunch, which used to be a TechCrunch mobile dedicated website. Uh, mobile beat which used to be a venture beat mobile dedicated website and a number of other places and then later at my own linkedin and my own website which i barely maintain i don't write about uh you know i'm gonna be honest i've been heads down and focused so i haven't been writing as much as i should be typically i think i'm 
and selfishly usually writing about the industry that I'm working in. Um, when I'm between companies or between startups in that downtime, then I take a more open-minded approach and write about, you know, other sorts of topics. Uh, but, but, uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, in recent years, mostly been writing about future of remote work, uh, remote work productivity, remote work teams, distributed team culture, those sorts of, those sorts of topics. Do you feel like you have a good work-life balance with that considerate with like what you just mentioned? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, obviously I have kids and so I, it's really about creating boundaries and prioritizing. And so I, you know, I think I do have a, a good, I, I kind of, I kind of know, uh, you know, where I need to sort of uh, disconnect and reconnect. And, and I think that's necessary. Otherwise you will get burned out. I mean, certainly I may not be on a computer, but I'm often thinking about work. And so it takes, it takes a little bit of effort to be able to mentally disconnect. I think, you know, I, I think work life is not as separated as people think it is. I think it's very blended in uh, certain kinds of roles, like in my role. And so I might be doing work stuff on the weekend. I might be doing personal stuff during the week. It, you know, it's kind of each day is it's a mix. What's one thing about Pulse that makes you stand out from the crowd? Yeah. So right now, if you look at status in Slack or or other sort of messaging apps, usually at best, people just connect their calendar. And so that's the best you have. Uh, we actually have not seen folks take a sort of global or heterogeneous kind of you know holistic approach to all of the sort of different types of data. I think I think part of the innovation or key idea here was the fact that status is more than just simply a green dot. The fact that it actually can be used as a medium to communicate, and so I think I think that that puts us in in some very green space. Uh, you know, there there isn't a lot that that currently looks similar. There are behaviors that certainly look similar. So those that operate in, let's say, Discord world, not uncommon. People will install apps to share what game they're currently playing in or whether they're in Netflix or YouTube or whatever they are at any given point in time, sort of activity uh, being shared as status. And uh, you're seeing that on the consumer front, but you haven't really seen an effort to try to bring that into the workplace and on the work front. And in a way where the user feels like they're in more control to then foster and uh, uh, spin up more collaboration uh, and reduce interruption and so forth. So I think it's early innings. Uh, certainly Slack, Microsoft Teams, Google, uh, Workspace themselves are thinking how they can improve the experience in and around status. And they've been thinking about it for a long time. And I suspect they will make improvements, but I suspect a lot of those improvements uh, will be in the context of their own ecosystem. So how can I make Google Workspace better if you're a user of Google Docs and you're a user of uh, Google applications? Or how can I make Teams better if you're a user of Microsoft applications and so forth. And so the fact that we can really be uh, sort of cross-platform and, and, and support a wide range of different sort of data sources from consumer to business applications across different platforms puts us in a unique position. Okay, my last question here. What are some challenges that you face as a founder, an experienced founder, that keep you up at night? You know, I think um, as a startup, there's many phases in a company. In the beginning, you know, sometimes you start with ideation, you kind of want to swim in the right direction. And then and then there's like sort of the next step, you're, you're, it's like building out the prototype, building the early team, and then it's sort of getting to product market fit and funding and growing and scaling. And so, you know, I always, always am thinking about like, okay, are you at, are you at product market fit? You know, you could be at 100 active teams, but maybe nobody's paying, or maybe you have five teams paying, but you don't feel like, you have 50 teams paying. And the definition of product market fit is always evolving and it's changing. Uh, it's not like it was before. And there's a lot of these sort of idioms that people say, sort of if you have 10 paying teams, you can get to 100 paying teams and so forth. But 
it, that's something I always think about, like that sort of changing definition, evolving definition, because uh, you do want to get to a point where you feel like you're, that the product in market is at a point where it's just all about scaling now. Like you have a rinse and repeatable model. Uh, now let's figure out how to go from 100 teams to 1 million teams uh, or whatever it might be. Or, and, you know, and, and I'm just talking about one sort of challenge. Obviously, there's different challenges even in growing your team and getting to a point where you feel like you have enough redundancy in your team that they can operate if somebody wants to take a vacation, things like that. So there's ranges of different things that I think about. I don't want to say it's any one thing, but, but I think these are all normal sort of normal things within the bounds of uh, growing and running a startup. Certainly. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Before we get out of here, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and Pulse and learn more about Pulse, that is? To reach me, I'm just at Raj at getpulse.team or at Mobile Raj on Twitter, but I'm not as active uh, on Twitter as I should be. And if you want to learn more about Pulse, just visit Pulse, which is at uh, www.getpulse.team. All right, Raj, thank you. We're going to end the podcast there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave us a rating. Raj, thank you for joining the show. We appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you.